look for opportunities to get out of your comfort zone, to work in new things, new areas, learn something new, and even learn it with new people. Thanks for joining us today as we take a look into the diverse journeys, struggles, and successes of business professionals as they give their perspectives on the impact of a business education, what they learn along the way, and where they will go. I'm Justin Zane, and this is Business and Rap. Welcome to the show. With me today are Sarah Yu and Nicholas, and joining us is our special guest, Chris Crump. Chris is a business honors and finance grad from UT and returned for one more year to get his MBA in finance. He went on to work at Accenture for over two decades, working up to the title of managing director with many premier Fortune 100 companies. After preaching change management to clients, he decided it was time to embrace change in his own life and took an impromptu sabbatical. Since then, he has taken more time to reconnect with his family, explore old and new hobbies, learn new things, travel, and give back to UT on the BHP advisory panel. Thanks for being here, Chris. It's good to be here. Thank you. So we're all wondering, what is retirement like? It's really not what I expected. First of all, I never intended to retire when I did. It's, I, I still consider myself on a sabbatical. But uh, I find that I fill my time up and uh, don't have a lot of free time. So at this point, I wonder how I got everything done that I wanted to in my life with, uh, with working full time. I understand one of the areas you have expertise in is change management. Can you break that down a bit more for all of our listeners? I can. I had the opportunity to work with some really big uh, companies on their global biggest challenging problems. And my piece of it, though, oftentimes it was a technology project. My piece of it was working with uh, the individual workers and leaders that were impacted most by the change. So when uh, you think about a change with the corporations, with uh, changing strategy, changing business processes and technology, immediately you think of training, of course. You have to learn a new system or learn a new business process. But with change management, it was so much more than that. It was understanding where they were coming from and the work that they had done a certain way for so long, acknowledging the value of that work, and then talking about how it's going to be different going forward and why. Uh, With adult learners, you really have to um, stress the why. Uh, Why are we making the changes at a corporate level? Um, Why is it important to do this? What is the benefit not only to the company, but for them as well? Um, So we spent a lot of time with employees not only training them on new skills, but also to help them understand why the changes are taking place uh, in the first place. That sounds like a big task. Um, One of the big things you were known for during your time at Accenture was your ability to calmly turn a difficult situation around at very stressful moments for your clients. Has managing stress always been something you've been skilled at? How do you do it? You know, I I think that uh, managing stress is a very important part of of these corporate uh, mega programs, and really even the day-to-day life of a corporation. For me, it, it kind of came naturally. Every family has their uh, peacemaker. And I guess as the youngest, I was the peacemaker in my family growing up. And uh, it, it kind of led naturally to um, doing the change management work uh, with uh, the corporations. These, these programs that uh, consulting companies are a part of, they're very complex. And with that complexity, there's a misstep. There's always missteps going forward, whether it's in the the build part of the project or or even after you go live. And uh, I think what clients value out of their consulting partners is uh, that calmness that, okay, this is a problem. 
Uh, we've seen something like it before, and we're going to get through this uh, as quickly and efficiently as possible. And I think that was something that was valued. And I think uh, during my time at Accenture, I had so many good opportunities to work on these really big programs that span borders, uh, these global projects that um, uh, impacted, for example, 80 or 90 different countries. Uh, so with that, you had even more increased complexity. And once you've done a couple of those, you kind of get the uh, uh, reputation for being someone that can be trusted in a situation like that. Great. So we mentioned earlier that you were at Accenture for more than 20 years. And so what was your experience like staying with one company for so long and working your way up? Justin, it was never the intent. I, I think like so many um, people coming out of business school and um, engineering school for that matter, uh, you start with uh, business consulting because you're not quite sure what you want to do. And you think, oh, I can get a, a experience working in a variety of industries, doing different things. So then after two or three years, I can move on and do something else. Well, that was my plan. Uh, the plan didn't quite work out like that as I, uh, as I stayed at Accenture for a long time. And I think the reason um, that I stayed, um, a couple of things. First, uh, because you change clients, and I had the opportunity not only to change clients, but to change industries from time to time. Uh, it was something that renewed my interest in learning something new. Uh, so that was one reason to, to stay. And I think another one uh, was simply uh, the caliber of people that I was working with and the opportunity to work with uh, people from all across the world. I knew that wasn't something that was replicated simply. Uh, so I was more than happy to stay where I was given those opportunities. What would you say are some of your favorite moments during those years? Oh, I think um, with consulting, uh, certainly in the past, it was something that uh, you travel uh, quite a bit for. Uh, I traveled uh, pretty much every week uh, for 22 years, uh, mainly domestic, but also a, a fair amount of overseas travel as well. And when you have these projects and everybody flying in from various locations, uh, you become pretty tight with your, your coworkers because not only do you work long hours with them, uh, but they're your only friends in a given city. Uh, whether it's, you know, Minneapolis or Chattanooga, Tennessee or Seattle, uh, that becomes your support group. So you have dinner with them. You try to have uh, fun in the hours that are allowed uh, around work. And uh, most of the, the things I look back on are the uh, fun times I had with my team. Uh, from a work perspective, I think it's uh, those opportunities where you know you're going to fundamentally change a company uh, and how it's organized for the better. Uh, to make them more efficient, more effective, to have better leadership and uh, a better trained organization. I think there are a couple of instances where um, perhaps we're in a whiteboard drawing up what a new organization for accounts payable, for example, might be. And uh, you just know that you're going to approve on uh, what that organization was in the past. And it was, it was kind of nice, especially uh, with my role in working directly with the people impacted. So you've touched a little bit on travel, managing stress, embracing change. What made you realize you needed that change to your lifestyle and go on a sabbatical? And what was that transition like for you? How did people react to it? So as I said, uh, I traveled pretty much every week for 22 years. And by the time I got into my mid-40s, uh, it wasn't quite as easy as it was in my mid-20s. Uh, that 5 a.m. alarm on Monday morning or the delayed flight coming home. It, the thunderstorms always hit on Thursday afternoons. I think that's, that's a global phenomenon with, uh, with weather. 
And uh, after a while, it, it does start to, um, to wear on you a bit physically and mentally. Also, I have uh, one son, and at the time that I left Accenture, he was in middle school. And I, I just had the, um, the desire to spend a little bit more time, actually a good bit more time with him, um, while he still didn't have a choice. <laughs> and now that he's in college, he has a choice. So uh, I know that when I do see him, it's because he wants to see me at least. So that's the, uh, that's the silver lining. What are some of your favorite places that you've visited? And what, in your opinion, makes a place worth visiting personally on your own time? Uh, for work, uh, I had the opportunity to visit uh, just a number of interesting places that I probably would have never made it on my own. I think South Africa was um, a wonderful, a wonderful country to work in. A couple of trips I made there, uh, both in Cape Town and Johannesburg. I think uh, working in the Philippines uh, a couple of weeks was really interesting. The uh, Filipino people are some of the, the nicest, most hardworking people on the planet. And it's just such a joy working with them uh, in country. I gravitate to Europe and working uh, working there. I worked uh, on a project in Germany for a, a couple of years, back and forth between Texas and Germany, and uh, it was it was really fun working with um, the German team as well. So when I left Accenture, I, I kind of had a mental list of all these places that I had worked and had meetings and and didn't quite have the time to to visit all the things that I want to visit while I was there. So. Uh, I had a couple of years where I was hitting uh, those places more as a tourist, but lately uh, my travels and what I look for in travels is where can I connect with real everyday people on the ground? And I found that through language learning. So kind of one of my hobbies since leaving Accenture is learning languages. I've managed to uh, become fairly fluent in French and uh, I'm working my way to get there in German. And it's it's really fun when uh, you can visit uh, a French-speaking or German-speaking country and talk to the people, the, uh, the everyday people, and not the people that you run into from a tourist perspective, and just kind of see how they live. There are 193 member states in the UN, and I firmly believe that we can learn something from every one of them and how they live and organize their life. So uh, I enjoy talking to the folks in the different countries and learning about how they live. You mentioned that you were into learning languages and how you're touching on French. I guess what has that been like and how has that helped your experience and maybe overcoming some cultural barriers when you travel? Interesting question. When I worked, uh, oftentimes I worked where English was a second language and I always felt kind of bad that English um, is, is kind of the standard business language across the world and everybody was speaking my language and, and uh, nobody was speaking the, the language of the home country I might be in. When I was working, I had no time to uh, brush up on my uh, college French from all those years ago. So uh, I took the opportunity uh, uh, once I wasn't working anymore to really focus on it uh, on a more or less daily basis. And it's really en enriched um, the travel experience for sure. But when you learn a language, you also learn a culture just kind of by the nature of the language itself or the readings and um, videos that you watch in the native language. So it's, it's a way to learn a culture a little bit more deeply than um, what you would get not uh, speaking their native tongue. So we also saw that you were involved with the Harvard Advanced Leadership Initiative, which focuses on global human challenges, which really fits with your background working in consulting at a global level. And so could you tell us a little bit about what you did and what your experience was like? Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, I uh, had the opportunity to spend 2018 as a student once again, which is not something that uh, I expected to do at this point in my life. But my partner and I, we got involved in a program at Harvard for the 2018 calendar year called the Advanced Leadership Program. 
And what uh, this program that um, Harvard has allows for is uh, a year of, of study on uh, what they call the third stage of, of your career. Uh, the first stage being a learning stage, the second uh, stage being your, your kind of earning years. And um, if you think of four stages, the fourth stage is true retirement. So there's that third stage when uh, you're, you quit working necessarily for, for earning as much and you look for opportunities to, uh, to give back and to help. And this is a program that Harvard does uh, that has specific instruction for uh, this kind of third stage of life, but also gives you the opportunity uh, to sit in uh, as a guest on a number of different Harvard courses. Uh, so for me, I took advantage of the opportunity and took several classes at the Kennedy School of Public Affairs. And um, I have several interests that, uh, that fit with that choice, whether it's urban planning, international relations, green energy. Uh, there were several uh, uh, topics like that that I, I just had the opportunity to sit in at graduate school level, Harvard courses, and learn from uh, the professors and also the students that are taking the class. So that was a great opportunity to kind of further my background on working globally. What do you believe to be the most pressing issue facing society today? And do you have any tips or general pointers you believe we should be following to navigate it? Uh, as far as pressing issues, I, I think you start with climate first. I think what we've experienced last year with the pandemic is, is kind of a, a test run on how uh, cities, nations, and the globe responds to urgent international global emergencies. And uh, I think we have plenty to learn based on our experience over the last year on how we can work better as a people, especially across borders. Uh, it gets back to what I said earlier, that I think we have a lot to learn from others and others have a lot to learn from us as well. And uh, where we lean on different groups of people who have strengths and learn from them, uh, I think the, the better we'll be positioned to solve some of these truly global challenges that the world faces. As background, when I was in consulting, I worked in um, energy quite a bit. So it's nice having that background on how traditional oil and gas companies work um, when I have dialogue around, for example, green energy, because I come from a place of understanding the industry and understanding the cost trade-offs and, and the ease of which, or the difficulty with which of, of switching from a fossil fuel-based energy source to more of a renewable uh, source. So it was especially nice, for example, when I took an energy course at Harvard and I was in the, in the classroom with uh, a whole room full of uh, graduate students. So these are people that had some experience and uh, though the class was energy class on how it impacts international relations, at one point, uh, the professor asked, uh, who has set foot on an oil and gas company on site? And I was the only one in the room that had, and not only set foot on it, but had spent years working at a variety of the biggest names. And surprisingly, I became quite a resource in the class um, where it, uh, when I was starting, I was uh, just uh, happy to be in the room and, and wondering, uh, what I could possibly bring to this group of bright minds. You've mentioned how liberating not always being plan-driven is. Um, now that you're not working, it's not all about chasing that next title or that next position. So that being said, do you have a game plan as far as the future goes? Uh, interesting question. I've always been a planner. Um, I think a lot of business honor students and business students in general uh, lean on plans. And when I worked at Accenture, uh, we, of course, with the, these very large and intricate uh, programs, uh, would have very detailed plans and work plans 
on what step is going to take when and how long it's going to take and where the inputs and outputs, all this detail. And I think what I've learned, and I think certainly what the last year has taught all of us, is plans are, are interesting, but uh, you need to kind of keep them at the general level and know that uh, events far beyond your control are going to push you uh, one way or the other. The way I like to think about it is, um, I think of myself as on a, on a raft in the Pacific Ocean, and I want to say, make it to Hawaii. And I know the general direction to Hawaii, and I'm, I'm rowing that way as fast as I can. But I know that there are going to be big storms that knock me wildly off course and delay me and make it harder to get to where I want to go. But as long as I still have that general plan and goals, as far as in business, I'm building the right skills, for example, uh, to get me where I want to go. But knowing the details uh, might not always come to pass exactly like I think they would or hope they would. Yeah, thank you for that. That's honestly something that I really needed to hear. I'm also a very plan-driven person. So it's it's nice to hear some advice in that area. As well as listen to a Hawaii metaphor, it's I think it's like 40-something degrees down here in Houston today. So needed that little burst of warmth as well. <laughs> so thank sure. you. And so from your experience, what would you say are some mottos, values, or principles that you live by? Embrace change. I think after uh, 20 years of working in change management, it's a requirement. Uh, but certainly, uh, like so many people experiencing change as you go through life and experiencing it at a time and a place that wasn't necessarily of your choosing, but embrace change and understanding what you can control and, and keep striving for the, for the things that uh, you value. That's, that's probably the first thing. And then as far as, I don't know if it's more of a motto or, or more of a way of life, but uh, for me, it's, it's embracing other cultures. So we live in a time where it's far easier to surround yourself with diverse people and diverse experiences. Um, and even through language learning, I, I now have language teachers in German and French that I meet with weekly online uh, with uh, video conferencing. That's not something that um, a person would have been easily able to do even 10 years ago. So with, uh, with the modern world and the importance of what I've stressed about working together globally, I, I think it's, it's my other motto or way of living is, is really just embracing our global community and, and learning from one another. Another way that you've been sort of plugging in to the community is being an active member of the BHP Alumni Advisory Board. And it's been over seven years now. But what made you decide to devote your time to helping out the next generation and keep up with the idea of paying it forward? About seven years ago, I approached the, uh, the business school and said, hey, look, you know, I'm happy giving a, a nice donation each year to the university, but I would really like to, to spend a little more time with the school. And uh, I asked one of the representatives of BHP if, if there was you know, anything I could do. And I got kind of a, oh, we'll get back to you kind of thing, and, and, which was okay at the time because I was working and busy. And, and then out of the blue, I got a call from, uh, from Shelly, our um, leader of business honors. And uh, she asked if I would like to join uh, the Alumni Steering Committee for uh, Business Honors. And I joined, uh, not knowing exactly what to expect, but it's been a really nice experience over the last seven years. Um, we meet in person twice a year, or at least we, we were in person to the last year and hope to get back to that soon. And we do a variety of things around both alumni engagement, which I think is very important to reconnect across years of Business Honors and for networking purposes or, or just finding, uh, finding connections. 
But not only with alumni, we um, we have goals around working with students. So that is, is anything from mentoring to providing events around careers, uh, et cetera, that the, the students, I hope, value. So that's been... Um, that's been the best part, frankly, is, is going to uh, the coffee chats that we have every time that we have uh, a committee meeting. We have coffee chats with the students and getting to meet the current students. And for several of them, I, I've seen them uh, over four years. So I've seen them from freshmen all the way to, to seniors and, and even keep in touch with a couple of them after they start their careers. So it's, it's very rewarding to see how far Harborum has come since I was there in the late 80s and early 90s and how far individuals within the program really come from freshmen, or in some case, I might have even interviewed them as high school seniors till their starting years in a career. It's, it's quite rewarding to see that growth. Well, hopefully I can speak for most of us CBHP students when I say that we definitely do appreciate your time and the coffee chats and all of those. So thank you for that. It's exciting to see that BHP students kind of go full circle and come back to get involved again and help future generations. To close, though, a final fun question we like to ask all of our guests is about their hot take, a strong personal opinion that maybe not everyone will agree with. What would your hot take be? Hmm. I don't know how hot a take it is. Maybe it's just a warm take. My take is always look for opportunities to get out of your comfort zone. And I'm going to tie it back to a concept that I'm sure you've heard of that I, for one, have suffered for my, in my entire life, and that's the imposter syndrome never feeling like you're smart enough or you belong or everybody in the room is a click and and you're not part of it and and they know more than you do and you have uh, nothing possible that you can add to the conversation. Perhaps I'm alone in feeling that, but I I, I don't think I am as they have named it the imposter syndrome. So I think getting my hot take is to look for opportunities to get out of your comfort zone, to work in new things, new areas, learn something new, and even learn it with new people. Because that's really where you get that sort of growth. And it's what I really enjoy with my language learning. So uh, when you're in your early 50s and you start learning German, uh, that can be quite intimidating. But step by step, you're able to overcome it and, and you feel like uh, you conquer it at some point. Well, thank you so much again for joining us and giving us some tidbits of wisdom from your experience across a wide variety of topics. And we really enjoyed spending some time with you. Thank you. I appreciate the uh, conversation with you all. Thanks for tuning in to Business Unraveled, where we share not just the successes, but also the struggles of the business journey. Thank you for your support, and a special thank you to our team, Yai Ding, Sarah Ugangavelli, Nicholas Cow, and Chris Wang for the production of this episode. To stay connected with us, follow our Instagram at Business Unraveled and leave us any comments or suggestions. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.